You are listening to the Hospice Chaplaincy Show, a show where we talk about psychospiritual and psychosocial aspects of end of And now, here's your host, Saul. Thank you very much for joining us on this episode of the Hospice Chaplaincy Show. I'm Saul Obama. And today my guest is Cheryl Christopher. She's the author of Grief. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Saul. It's a pleasure to be here with you. Where, where did you grow up? I was actually born in Hattiesburg, Mississippi, but um, my dad was separated whenever I was born, and my dad moved to Houston, Texas. And when I was six weeks old, he contacted my mom and said he had a new job there and had bought a house and wanted her to come and bring me and my brother. And so that's when I was just six weeks old. And then in a couple of years, he got an opportunity in Beaumont, Texas, and we moved there. And so I spent most of my life in Beaumont, Texas. So what has been the role of faith from your childhood in your life? I became a believer when I was 12 years old. One thing that I left out of my books all was that my family was in a, a horrific car accident when I was eight. And um, my mother windshield and was almost decapitated. And she spent a lot of time uh, in the hospital. And we didn't have any family close by. And so my my father contacted a relative who came and stayed with her and I since we were so young. And my dad still had to work. And it was that time that um, sexual abuse entered into my life. And um, I think that God used that to draw myself. Um, I was listening to a uh, missionary speak about the chaos in Chile, and he prescribed a cure for that, and that was trust in the one who could chaos and the fear in our lives. And I didn't really know what the word chaos meant. <laughs> I was 12 years old, and I'd heard the word, but I began to understand that he was describing my home, my heart, as a chaos. And uh, so I think that through that, the Lord drew me to himself, and the missionary said, if you want a new life, then come forward. Well, I thought, well, nobody wants a new life more than me. was filled with shame and embarrassment and confusion over all that had happened to me. And so I went forward, and I received a new life. And I was felt like I was washed clean and uh, a new person, and I was filled with joy. And so that was the beginning of my walk, with, um, with that my faith walk. I'm sorry to hear about the back-to-back tragedies, you know, with the yeah. abuse, sexual abuse. Yeah. I know a lot of people, especially when they go through tragedy, feel as though they've been abandoned by God and turn away from Him. And I did turn away from Him, and I did get real angry, and I was but I always knew that there, there was a living presence that was with me, and uh, I think that's made a big difference. So what led to the motivation of you writing the book, A Portrait of Grief? Part of it was trying to understand what happened myself. Um, you know, we all have stories, but sometimes unless we write them down, we don't really understand we have to live our lives forward, but we only understand them kind of when we look back. But also, when I was growing up, I never knew anyone who lost a child. But now it seems like 
every other either has lost a child or no one's knows someone who's lost a child and it's so difficult and my husband and i've gone you know it's it's been a difficult journey for us but we still are filled with hope and we hopefully that'll be an encouragement to others your book is well written it has four parts and part mm-hmm. one uh, begins with shattered could you mm-hmm. tell us the story within that for some of us when a phone call or a knock at the door or the sound of a le- last breath changes everything in our lives and for us all it started with a knock at the door our young, our youngest son austin was 16 at the time and he was at home our other kids had married and had gone to college and graduated and so there was a knock at the door and it was three of Austin's friends and they were visibly shaken and they they said there's been a it's bad and it's Austin they've got the jaws of life as we were running to our car a police officer pulled into the driveway and asked if we were the Christophers and we said yes and he asked if we had a and we said yes and he said i regret to inform you your son's been pronounced dead at the scene of an accident so that was the beginning of our explosion of our lives really wow um hear news like that mm-hmm. especially on and on any day it really is it breaks the spirit completely how did you put yourself together you know it took all In the beginning, I, my husband carried me into the house. I couldn't go to the scene of an accident. I think a part of that was the accident that I had experienced myself as a child. I couldn't bear the th- being there of seeing him. I mean, I knew I knew that he had died, and so there was. Some people need to know every little thing, but I wasn't that way. I couldn't. I could. And so he called someone to come and stay with me and a pastor to come and our next door neighbor came over and he wanted to pray with me and I said no don't I'm not speaking to God go in the other room pray for the boy to live but I'm not speaking to God and I don't want anyone to speak to him in my presence and I I continued to not ignore the Lord but he continued to speak to my heart and he said you know I know what it's like to lose a son. Don't push me away. He said later on he said just trust me. I still have a plan even in this and but um I was silent the Lord for a long time. It's you know when you when your life explodes and implodes um it's like a bomb's been set off inside of us and I didn't want to live in that house anymore. I wanted to change every single thing about my life, Saul. I didn't I couldn't stand for it to go on the way it would have if Austin had lived. And so I quit going to work at the studio. We wound up finally changing churches. Um and I was aware I couldn't live in that house anymore. We had built it just for the three of us and it would always be empty for me. And uh My husband and I were sitting in a swing out on the porch and um the sun was setting and he said isn't that beautiful and I said I didn't say anything and he said what's wrong with you can't you see the sunset 
I said, I don't want to live here anymore. We had put the house on the market about a year earlier. And I said, I'll make you a deal. If it, if it doesn't sell in two more months, I'll, I'll never and I'll find some way to live here. And silently I prayed, Lord, you have two mon- months. Would you sell this house? <laughs> and that was breaking my silence the first time I had spoke to the Lord. And house Saul and my husband went up and answered it. And it was somebody to, wanted to buy the house. And um, so I think that right there was a turning point, um, a little bit of a turning point for me. Oh. Well, it softened my heart toward the Lord because not only had I lost Austin, but I'd lost the connection to my faith. And that was, and that was hard. It's an opportunity to move on toward beginning to build a new life, which takes a lot of time. I mean, it takes a lot of time to grieve a child. Yeah. So you moved into a new, moved into a new work environment. You moved into a new church. Mm-hmm. How did that begin to lay the foundation to move towards healing? Well, for one thing, moving our house where Austin died, we had built, it was about 20 miles outside of town. And so every day we passed the site of the accident. He died just about two miles from the ha- from our house. And so for one thing, I didn't need to pass the accident scene. Every- and I think that was helpful. A lot of people find comfort in the churches where they buried their children. A lot of people find comfort in this routine and the same jobs, but I could not solve. I needed a new world as I could create. And mm. so we we did that. And um, it, it's a it's a day-by-day journey. Yeah. You know, grief is tough. It's tough. I don't know if we completely even heal from grief. No, and you know, I was so unprepared. I did not, I had, I'd always dealt with grief on the inside of me. I always like, you know, um, uh, sexual abuse, I dealt with it on the inside. Um, but the loss of a child is just too big to contain. I tried in the beginning. I didn't know that that grief was what we feel that mourning is the expression of that grief. I didn't understand that. And I tried not to mourn for a long, long time. But we have to mourn. We have to cry. We have to let it out because it's in letting what's on the inside get that we find some relief and some release from the pain. And ultimately, we find some healing. So in that deep moment of anguish and pain and grief, um, what comforting you know what brought comfort to you we were surrounded by so much love uh from people and people worry so much about i I hear people ask me that all the time what do i say to somebody who's just lost a child or a husband or who has been plunged into terrible grief but the truth is there are no words there's there's only uh, being there. Um, and we had people who did not shy away, who came and who stayed with us. Many, many people. Um, we, we had people who came and cooked for food and they answered the telephone and they made lists and they sat with us 
way into the night and they came the next day. They brought truckloads of drinks and it was unusual outpouring of love. And I don't know why our community's heart was so broken by the death of our, our son, but it really was. And, you know, you can't walk away from that without um, there's some good still in the world. There's somebody listening to this podcast and wondering if a friend of mine experiences this kind of tragedy, how can I help? And mm-hmm. it looks like your friends modeled this, you know, level of presence and being there to walk alongside you. They didn't they sometimes did. they didn't have to say anything because there's nothing any nothing magical to say. No. no. Good. Hugs are real good. <laughs> <laughs> but I tell you something else, Saul. Yeah. Clean sheets, clean sheets on your bed. You know, a glass of water when you need it. Just coming and fully enter into what you're feeling. But don't don't be afraid to go. That's the important thing. Just go and stay if you can. You know, I talked to a man in Hill Country who'd lost his son, and I asked him what he remembered about the people who came and what he found most comfort. And, and he was a Catholic, but they weren't really churchgoers. But he said that there was a Catholic nun who came, and she came every day. And he said she never really said it. She was just there. And he said when he thinks back to those days, that's the one thing that he remembers is her presence there. I encountered, you know, deep grief like you, a totally different context. Um, but at mm-hmm. 12 years parents were killed in front of me. And I went. I, I remember going through many days and maybe weeks, going through suicidal ideation. Um, I don't know. I out. I, I didn't want to leave the house. Mm-hmm. I was mm-hmm. sleeping almost all day. Uh, mm-hmm. The grief was so much that I could not see myself going on. I could not see a future or a life. Friends there. And that can be challenging. How did you motivate yourself uh, to develop a new sense of purpose, to get out, to be willing to talk to people, uh, to process your grief? You know, um, we've had three losses. Uh, So we lost our youngest son, and then we lost our oldest son to a suicide, and then we also lost our grandson to a suicide. Was it back to... Uh, we we lost our oldest son, Wes, nine years after Austin. Um, and then we lost his oldest son, our grandson, uh, 13 years later. So we've recovered and we've been plunged back into it, only to walk back through the same steps again. Um, the first time with Austin driven you know there are different ways that you cope with with grief some people go into overdrive and do and do and do and lose themselves and that's kind of how I did I coped with it by you know I talk about a lot of the different things I did you know I went to France and started a bridal gown business and traveled internationally and I mean I was all about (laughs) building some kind of a new world Um, but when we lost son to a suicide very shocking it was such a shock for us that's when I shut down um the law after lost 
the loss of a child to suicide uh, is a very profound. We thought we knew all about grief, but this was something different for us. And that's when I did shut down. Um, I found it. I lost my ability to do even the smallest of things. And uh, my husband had a friend that he had played golf with, and his name was um, Judge Tom Mulvaney. And Tom himself was terminal with cancer. But he called my husband and said he wanted to with me. And um, he said that he had a word from the Lord for me. And so Tom came over and uh, he said, Cheryl, I wanted to tell you the story of my grandmother. Tell me about her life. He said, my grandmother was just a beautiful woman. But he said, when I was growing up, people always said, gosh, we wish you'd known her before. And he never knew as a child what that meant. But he said, I'm an adult. I heard the rest of the story. It seems that her oldest son had fought in World War II. And when he came home, he just wasn't the same. He was, he spent a lot of time in his room alone. He tried to get a job, but nothing really happened for him. And um, he said she was the one that found him when he hanged himself in his room. He said it, it was as though that day to all the color went out of her. She never laughed again, really. She never had the joy and the bubbling personality that she had had before. And Tom said, Cheryl, don't let that be your story, too. The Lord sent me here to tell you that he wants you to live fully every day that he leaves you on this earth. And so I would just encourage anyone who's suffering that terrible loss of a child to suicide to not let that be their story either. But, you know, he challenged me to live more fully and to love more deeply because of that. And, um, you know, our, our children who die also lived. And so we try to focus on remembering who they were when they lived, you know, and not so much to focus on their death. Take a little break. Our guest is Cheryl Christopher. She's the author of A Portrait of Grief, Hope and Healing After the Loss of a Child. If someone you know is suffering from mental health issues and could use some support, call the National Alliance for Mental Illness Helpline. It is a free nationwide peer support service, providing information, resource referrals, and support to people living with a mental health condition. To contact the please call 1-800-950-NAMI. That's 1-800-950-6264, Monday through Friday, or send an email to info at nami.org. I'm Sole Berman. You're listening to the Hospice Chaplaincy Show. We continue our conversation with Cheryl Christopher. And uh, in, just before the break, Cheryl, you spoke about tragedy. And um, did that bring some sense of PTSD? Uh, it did. Um, I think the PTSD for me was after the loss of our son. Um, it's as though I was in the car and, you know, you identify so closely with your children and their pain is your pain. And it's as though I was in the car with him. His, his car left 
Like he was a passenger and it hit the, it hit another car. The boys were racing on the, on the, on the highway and the cars hit each other and his deviated off and hit a tree. It hit and so it's as though I was in the tree. I mean, I was in the car and I was hitting the tree over and over and over again. And I couldn't stop that process of that repeating process going on in my mind. And uh, I was seeing a counselor at the time and it, it must have been very new at the time, but she did use EMDR to help me through that uh, uh, and it really did help. It helped a lot. Mm. Uh, I also uh, found that I started having anxiety attacks. Uh, Saul, I don't know if you've ever had one, but it, it's, it's and it, it can be as though the universe has lost its glue and you're uh, suspended and nothing seems real. It, it's a strange thing. Um, was having that experience. I did wind up going on uh, antidepressants for a while, mm. which, you know, everyone doesn't need, but at the right time, you know, it's good. Uh, extra, I used exercise for a long time, but finally when I went on, um, I went on antidepressants. And then after that, I used exercise to help me get off of them. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you really, they, there's a reason they call it grief work. It's hard. Yeah, it is, and it takes time. I feel like in our culture, sometimes yeah. people do not understand grief. Like you know, um, they think maybe there's a time frame to to get over it and and function. Yes. but grief, it's hard. It's hard, and you know, you, after just putting our loved ones in the ground, we're encouraged to go out to eat and go to a funny movie, and it just doesn't work that way. We had people wanting to take us on trips. And to concerts and but you know Saul when you're in so much pain it it really doesn't matter where you are you can be in New York or you can be in Paris or you can be in Beaumont Texas and it's all the same you hurt and limit for people I know three years after losing our youngest son my pastor said Cheryl if you're over this by now then you must have some kind of sin in your life because you're just not experiencing the great and he made me so angry. <laughs> and mm. I said, you know, uh, I said, you know, God doesn't even forget the one. Yeah. Um, no, <laughs> I can't forget. You can't forget your child. And after a while, you're, it's all, you're afraid to let go of the grief because you feel as though that's all you have of them. You mm. know, is that that's the only connection you have. But uh, there comes a time. There comes a time to let go of it. Mm. In part you begin to talk about healing. Can you talk yes. more about that for you? After we lost our oldest son to a suicide, um, again, changed our lives. We sold our business. We sold our home again. We moved. And we moved to the Texas Hill Country um, where it was so beautiful. And we chose a very beautiful spot to heal. We felt the need to get away from our daily uh, grind. We, our photography business put us, um, we did a lot of society work. We did a lot of all kinds of work in front of people all the time. And 
You know, it's hard when you're grieving all to have people look at you. I, I know that, that you may know that. Um, it's almost as though you want to veil over your face. But to be required to go to so many occasions um, was difficult for us. And so we, we were able to sell our business, and it was, uh, it was a great thing that we, we were able to. It takes time to heal. Uh, we poured our. We had to find new ways to uh, fill our days. We found that it was healing to go to the beach, uh, mm-hmm. even though we were living in the about three hours from the beach. There's something about the beauty of nature um, that is healing. Uh, time alone, I found to be very important for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was finally able to read again. And I did read a lot of books on grief. I read the Psalms. I read the book of Job (laughs) Mm. to to try to understand, you know, God's dealings with others who had suffered through grief. Um, We we got a a pet. (laughs) We got a toy poodle. um, Um. And pets really change the subject a little bit and give you joy, some joy in your life. Mm. Um, So that's one thing we started to paint and I, I found a lot of uh, therapeutic healing through painting. Mm. Uh, a lot of, some people find yoga and meditation and things like that helpful, but the painting is very, and I found help in that way. What I appreciate about your life and how you were handling this tragedy is you constantly motivated yourself to do things, to paint, have a pet. It's like you are always yourself. Motivation is one of the things we lack. That's why most people who are going through deep grief think of suicide because there's no motivation for life. But you had this consistent motivation. I think that survivors of, you know, especially when when a child dies, is this guilt, guilt of surviving. I should Mm -hmm. have done this. I could have done this. I would have done this. How did that affect you and how did you you know, in the book, I talk about a, a song, and in the song, they use reverse video to where the, the singer is walking backwards through his life, and he's walking backward through city streets, and he's walking backwards over a railroad track, and he's the leaves, instead of falling down, the leaves are rising up, and he walks all the way back to the scene of an accident into the car and the girl who has gone through the windshield is miraculously revived and she's drawn back through the windshield into the car. The car reverses and goes back through the fence and force them off the road and they're going back to a happy, normal life. As grieving people, that's what we do. Every day, every moment, we walk ourselves our lives and we look for change points that maybe we could have done this differently. Maybe we could have done that, that differently. Maybe I could have changed it this way. Why didn't I do this? I should have done more. You know, I should have grounded. <laughs> and I suffered a lot of those things for a long time. And my husband and I went on a trip to Israel In speaking with someone there, I t- I sh- he was sharing some of his uh, problems in his I was sharing the guilt that I felt over the things that I hadn't done. And he said, well, 
in a little bit, we're going to be going to the Praetorium where Jesus was beaten, was scourged, and he was had the crown of thorns put on him. He said, I think you're going to see that it's enough. And I said, what do you mean it's enough? And he said, Jesus took your beating for you. You don't have to keep yourself. And so I tried to concentrate on that, Saul. And every time my guilt and my, the accusations would arise in me against myself, I would remind myself that that, that was over. It, it was over. The, the, the price had been paid for it and, and that I was free to live forward and not to live my life walking backwards. We can be better parents, better moms and dads and friends, but only by going forward, not by going back. Mm. Great words of wisdom. And in chapter 12, you begin to talk about small steps, big. And you said self-care is not optional. <laughs> What's the importance of self-care in, in, in the healing, of, healing from grief? Well, I think the important thing you're saying is that healing from grief. Have any severe injury or wound, it's very obvious that you need to be taken care of. And there is no deeper wound than the wound of a of a loved one. And so people need to realize they need to take time for themselves. Um, I loved warm baths. I may have taken uh, five days in the beginning. Um, exercise, you know, is, is healing. Um, sunshine is healing. Uh, good food, all the things. If you were ill, all the things help you then. That's, that's, those are the things we need to do for ourselves. We need to love ourselves a little bit and be gentle with ourselves. Well, that will take a right back. Continuing to be a leader in the field of spiritual care at the end of life, Hospice Chaplaincy provides high-quality professional development webinars that will improve your practice of spiritual care at the end of life. Check out our latest webinars at www.hospicechaplaincy.com. I'm Sole Bam, and we continue our conversation with Cheryl Christopher. And um, we have noticed, anyone who's listening knows that faith has played a big role in your life and also in you walking through grief and walking yeah. in grief. Uh, how has prayer um, contributed to that? Prayer's always been a big part of my life. Um, as a mother and a grandmother, I fail my children in many ways, but not praying for them isn't one of them. I prayed for them. I prayed for them. I prayed over them. I prayed on heaven's door day after day, night after night. And I've seen amazing answers to prayer. But saw the, the big prayer that I prayed for their protection. God didn't answer the way I wanted. And so it a lot of problems with him. And so I really... I really had problems with prayer after I went silent after losing each of our boys. And it really hurt to see other people's, you know, and so I was confused. But, you know, I read this story that I'd like to share from my book, if that's okay. Hmm. Um, 
Tony Evans is a pastor in Dallas, and his wife was ill with cancer, and they had asked everyone all over the world to pray for her, for her healing. Well, she, she died, and his son, Jonathan, did her service, and he answered some of my questions about prayer in that tribute to her. And a part of what he said is he was fussing at God, really. He was wrestling with him. Where are you? You know, didn't you hear us praying? Didn't you see the cancer? Why didn't you answer our prayers? And he said, finally, the Lord said, you don't understand the name Jonathan, just because I didn't answer the prayer your way doesn't mean I haven't already answered your prayer anyway. There was only two ways to answer. Either she was going to be healed or she was going to be healed. Either she was going to live or she was going to live. Either she was going to be with family or she was going to be with family. Either she was well taken care of or she was going to be well taken care of. Victory belongs to me because of what I've already done. There's only two answers to your prayers, and that's yes and yes. And that gave me great comfort, you know, to know that that's true. I mean, we believe that we believe that there is an afterlife and that those that we love do go to be with the Lord. And so that really helped me with prayer. And in part four of your book, you talk about finding meaning. And mm -hmm. obviously, faith is one aspect, and which is a big aspect for you in helping you find meaning. The role of ritual uh, played in your life in finding meaning through grief. First of all, I'd say that um, funerals uh, are important. In some ways, you know, funerals are like the first thing that happens after, after you've lost you. You're you're thrown into planning and trying to honor your loved one. Um, I've read that the best funerals are the ones that cause us to be better persons when we leave them. But you know, by now I've planned lots of funerals, and I think it's an uh, when I was planning our, our youngest son's funeral, I remember telling the singing director who'd come to our house to help us that it was Austin's every birthday. His, it was his every Christmas thing that he would never uh, experience. You know, it was every joyous thing that he was cheated of. And so it was very important uh, to plan it, to be um, to be honoring to our faith and to be encouraging to others, um, especially since there were so many young people that were going to be at the funeral. But also, you know, we did everything. We did a lot of things to try to memorialize our children. So mm -hmm. we've, we've planted trees to honor them. We've had their names engraved on that are placed around in Beaumont, Texas, but we also have them under engraved on walking stones under the big oak tree in front of our house. And it's all of our children, those that are living here, 
living in heaven. So a lot of people start nonprofits to honor their children. You know, I think writing this book is an attempt to and to honor our children. Mm-hmm. Um, I noticed there's a Jewish tradition where they light a candle on the day of one's death, the first year, to, to memorial. And the candle is lighted in the morning and it burns for 24 hours. Well, we started on the day of our children's births and on the day their death days, we light a candle and we recite a memorized prayer together to memorialize them. And it's a small little, it's a small little ceremony, but it gives me comfort. Rituals are powerful. And I'm glad that you found ways to memorialize your children. My, my husband's always been one for uh, symbols and things like that. And so when we would take vacations with our children, uh, if it was something really special that had occurred, uh, he would have us memorial out of rocks at a place, someplace on the property of wherever we were. And if they had a special memory, they wanted to write down and tuck inside the little altar that he had built, then we would do that. But you know, doing something uh, is meaningful because we're physical people. You know, we're physical creatures. And so physical actions along with the spiritual and emotional part of us to to make those steps and do concrete things Mm. to remember. What are your final words? You know, I read this uh, play lately by uh, Thornton Wilder. And it's about uh, healing that takes place at the pool of Bethesda. And there's a physician that comes, uh, there are paralytics and blind people laying around and they're touch the water and the first one in gets healed Mm. and there's physician that comes and he has no visible scar i imagine and when leading the play that he's had a terrible loss of someone he loves and his grief is hurts him so bad but that's just my imagining and he sees the angel appears just to him and says step back physician this healing's not for you and the physician says oh please serve so much better. But the angel says something like this, step back physician, this isn't for you. Without your wound, where would your power be? He asks him, it is your very remorse that makes your low voice tremble into the hearts of men. The very angels themselves cannot persuade the wretched and blundering children on earth as can being broken on the wheels of living in love service only the wounded soldiers can serve and as i've listened to your podcast and listened to you interview well so many of them have a wound and they are the healers and so i would say to those who are suffering from a terrible loss that you're wounded and no you don't get well from losing a but we can choose, we can choose to be bitter or we can choose to be better. We can choose to be more loving. You know, I can't speak to a child about like you were, Saul, that has lost 
had lost both his parents and found himself alone in the world. But I can speak to a parent who's lost a child because I can. And so that's how God can use all of this terrible stuff for good. <laughs> no, sir, I've sat behind this mic and I've spoken to a lot of people. But you are quite a, a, quite very inspirational. Oh, thank you so So thank you very much for sharing your time with us. How can our listeners get a hold of you? Um, at the end of my book, uh, there's a, I, I do have a website and it's CherylChristopherAuthor.com and they can reach me through my website. Thank you very much, Cheryl. Oh, thank you, Saul. I enjoyed speaking with you. That was Cheryl Christopher. Her book is A Portrait of Grief, Hope and Healing After the Loss of a Child. Please get a copy and thank you for listening. This show was chaplaincy promoting excellence in spiritual care at the end of life this episode was recorded at audio hive podcasting in julia illinois you can find our podcast everywhere podcasts are available if you enjoy listening to the show to give us your feedback by writing a review on itunes for more information please visit www.hospicechaplaincy.com